America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. My producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. Our newest affiliate, KLIN, AM 1400, FM 99.3 in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're happy to be in the Cornhusker State, and we thank all those good folks up there for putting us on the air and becoming part of America's Healthcare Advocate family. 296 six affiliates strong and we're still growing thanks to all of you amazed at the numbers i see those of you that are downloading these podcast shows especially the ones that you find very interesting the one we're going to do today is going to be extremely interesting because we have two wonderful doctors in studio with us today dr tracy stevens and dr sarah boyd from st luke's healthcare system here in kansas city you're going to find this fascinating it's hard to get these two together like this and get them in studio so it's a real privilege to have them here But this is one of those shows that you're going to hear, and maybe you're going to want to tell somebody about. You're going to see it up on that podcast platform. It's one of the ones you certainly do want to listen to and download. So first of all, welcome. Thank you for both getting here. Uh, We we woke up this morning to, what, three inches of snow out there, and I texted you this morning, Dr. Stevens, said, are you sure you guys are going to be able to make this? He said, well, I'm already at St. Luke's, and we're doing rounds this morning. (laughs) We were ready. Yeah, so, so I, I, once you get out of bed, like 1 a.m. or something, you know, so, uh, but we're very happy to have both of you in studio. A little bit about both doctors. Dr. Stevens is a board-certified cardiologist with St. Luke's Cardiovascular Consultants. She is on the staff at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute here in Kansas City, Missouri. She is the Julie Irene Kaufman Endowed Chair for Women's Cardiovascular Health here. Dr. Stevens received her MD degree from the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine. She completed her cardiology fellowship at the Mayo Clinic, and she was awarded Mayo Clinic's Outstanding Achievement Award in Cardiovascular Disease. She is a a member of the Alumni Association. She is a Mayo Clinic Alumni Association and the Donald C. Balford Award for Meritorious Research. So she is a learned specialist and doctor, and she's been on this show before, and we're very happy to welcome her back. New to the show and happy to have her here today because it's going to have a lot to do with what we talk about is Dr. Sarah Boyd. She is an MD and the System Medical Director for the Antimicrobial, I didn't even screw that up, do you believe that? Antimicrobial Stewardship at St. Luke's Health System. She is the Infectious Disease Physician by Training and a Specialist in Antimicrobial Stewardship and Hospital Epidemiology. She serves as the System Lead for Infectious Disease for COVID-19 and infectious disease responses for St. Luke's Health System and the Missouri Telehealth Statewide. She is a member of the Infectious Disease Society of America, the Society for Care of Epidemiology, and is the former president of the Kansas City Infectious Disease Society. We welcome you here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you, and I'm going to kind of jump right into this because, there, you know, I, I told you off air here a minute ago, I, I was traveling here about a month and a half ago. Um, and I was amazed when I got on the airplane, and I think there were five people wearing a mask. And I'm like, we're sitting, you know, three inches from each other. And I had a guy, one one in the window, and I was on the aisle seat, and he was coughing like crazy. And, and I'm like, and not no mask, not covering up, not anything. And it just made me think about the fact that, you know, COVID is not behind us. And having said that, I'm going to read a little something here that's kind of some interesting information updated. COVID, 101,000 cases in the USA, 1.1 million deaths, seven-day average for hospitalization, 40,000, ICU, 5,000. XBB1V, we're going to, XBB15 variant, we're going to talk about that today. I've done a show on this in the past, but we're fortunate today to have both doctors in studio to talk about this. 
28% of current U.S. COVID cases and growing fast. We'll talk about that in a minute. Flu, 19,000 hospitalized per week, 12.8 mortality rate, 2,432 deaths per week. 2018 flu season, there were 28,000 RSVs, 75% of pediatric hospital beds are full, and 80% of pediatric ICU beds. You know what? You don't hear a damn thing about this in the media anymore, Dr. Boyd. Definitely COVID is still around. We're seeing it frequently. Um, Certainly that first couple years, we had a lot more hospitalizations, but there's still almost 300 deaths a day in the United States from COVID. And so as you look at that, that seems like a lower number than it's been. And I think most people are sick of some of the things we did trying to protect ourselves. And so I've kind of moved on. Yeah, it's like COVID Um, fatigue. But the problem with that is it hasn't moved on. Right. And certainly for those 300 people, their families, their loved ones and their friends are going to miss them. Um, And and I think the other part we don't talk about enough is what those people that get infected and survive go through to get back to hopefully where they were before they had COVID. But there's certainly a growing number of people that have post-COVID conditions that never get back to their baseline or it takes months. And those are called COVID long haulers, right? There's a lot of different names, long COVID, long haulers, post-COVID conditions. You know, I think over the next few years, you'll start to see that really kind of coalesce into a better definition. But we're still learning about those cases. So, Dr. Stevens, talking about that and talking about the long hauler situation, um, how how does that affect people with cardiovascular issues? I mean, if you've got a heart condition like my wife Lauren does and you know, um, you know, how significant is that in terms of becoming an issue for someone that is like has had COVID? Uh, you know, and I, don't send me the emails. If you choose to be a non-vaxxer, that's your choice. But, you know, if you didn't get vaccinated – um, you're, you know, you, you don't have the kinds of safeguards that those of us that did get vaccinated do. How much of a risk is it for people that have cardiac issues, doctor? I think that it's a significant risk. And we see a number of symptoms after or during COVID. Certainly, it's one of the most common reasons we get consulted in the hospital uh, for patients who are not there for heart reasons, but the heart manifestations of a lot of these viral infections, including covid In the clinic, we're seeing a lot of symptoms related to the heart in patients who have just had a viral illness, COVID being a a very popular one. And so the symptoms are certainly shortness of breath, lots of skip heartbeats, arrhythmias, palpitations. You know, the heart's run on electricity, and we can see disorders of the electricity of the heart. We can see chest pain where the sac around our heart, the pericardium becomes inflamed, and that's severely uncomfortable. The heart muscle itself can be involved, what we call myocarditis or pericarditis or myopericarditis, uh, where the heart muscle is involved and it can cause enzyme release, much like a heart attack. In some patients, we see cardiomyopathy, a weak heart muscle, and not to mention high blood pressure that we're seeing skyrocket during this, this time as well. So all of those things are directly affected, COVID directly affects all of those things and exacerbating that situation if you have that particular issue or maybe even bringing it on? Right, and this the symptoms I just mentioned and what we're seeing clinically are commonly in people who have no underlying cardiac condition. But in those who have, to your point or question about an underlying cardiac condition, it brings out that condition. So we see a lot of myocardial infarctions or heart attacks coming in where it's it, where they have acute COVID infection, and that makes plaque rupture and creates the crisis, uh, strokes. So we see a lot of cardiac emergencies 
that may not have occurred had it not been stirred up by an active COVID infection. I think you're getting a little understanding now of where we're going to go with this broadcast today and why this is so important to get this information out to people across the country so you understand this thing is not behind us. So stay tuned. We're going to be back after the break. The doctors are in the house. We've got a lot more to talk about. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. We've got more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. By the way, we're videotaping a lot of these shows. This particular one is videotaped. It'll be posted up on YouTube. It's also going to be on all of the podcast platforms that we talked about. So um, you can listen to it. You can also watch it uh, and watch the doctors. And and I go back and forth here in the studio. My producer, the always perfect Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. In studio with me, Dr. Tracy Stevens and Dr. Sarah Boyd from St. Luke's Health care system here in Kansas City. We are very fortunate to get their time. Uh, as I mentioned in the opening segment, <laughs> Dr. Stevens was making rounds around 6.30 this morning, so um, uh, they're, very, they're extremely busy, but they carved time out to do this. So I read those statistics, Dr. Boyd, at the beginning of the broadcast. There are, you know, 101,000 cases, you know, seven-day average. Um, <clears throat> it's particularly acute on the East Coast. Uh, there's talk about it's moving, you know, through the Midwest where we are and further out west. What what are your feelings about that, your observations, and what's it like at St. Luke's right now? So from the variant standpoint, we definitely have seen where those variants sort of start in one region and will kind of move across the country. And I think the biggest thing that's come across with, with the newer variant is that we've lost some of our monoclonal antibody um, treatments that we used to use. So that certainly has been a big development. Um, additionally, I think when you look at just the hospital in general, we were talking on the way out here, you know, that very first large winter wave uh, of COVID, we were dealing with patients filling up the hospital with COVID. The next wave, we really dealt with staff being ill and staff being out with still large volumes. And now we're really seeing there's still a steady amount of, of COVID in the hospital in addition to all of our other medical things that we take care of in the hospital on a given basis. And then you add in extra flu cases, you add in a bit of a surge of COVID after holidays, and certainly the beds are, are full. So go back to that comment you made. So this XBB15, what I have read about this is it is significantly more contagious. It, it, it's much easier for people to get this than, than, um, than the other variants in the past. So is, is that accurate? So as all of these variants come, there's ones that they say are more contagious. And when you think about viruses and and variants, they're evolving to basically do their job, which is to infect other people, (laughs) make people sick, have plenty of hosts to infect. And so, you know, we see that. I, I think the other part, too, is no matter how infectious or more or less infectious a variant might be, the total volume of people who become ill and certainly a percentage of those that are high risk and will need medical services, whether that's a visit to an urgent care or an ER or a hospitalization, a, a less virulent variant with a large number of people it infects at the same time can still overwhelm healthcare systems. All right. And then you also said that the monoclonials that have been used in the past aren't effective against this. And I've also read that's 
the vaccine doesn't necessarily stop you from getting this. And I've been vaccinated four times. I'll be the first guy in line when the fifth one comes out um, uh, because I think it's made a hell of a difference. I'm 73 years old. I've had it once, but I had it for four days and it didn't knock me down um, like it has so many other people. So what, what is it that you're not able to use that you were able to use before with regard to monoclonals? So monoclonal antibodies, um, we've had several different ones as the variants have changed. There's new ones. Um, but with the newest variant, the XBB1.5, uh, we don't have any active monoclonal antibodies. We don't have any. We don't have any. That's so not good. if someone gets infected that's high risk, previous variants, they might have been able to get a monoclonal antibody infusion, which is essentially acting like their immune system, boosting that antibody protection and preventing them from hospitalization or from death. Um, but now we don't have any. And then additionally, we used uh, another long-acting monoclonal as a prevention for people like our heart transplant patients that might not mount a good vaccine response, and that's no longer effective either. So those immunocompromised people have lost that extra layer of protection. So basically, that means all of this is off the table now. And you're basically relying on hopefully the vaccine that it doesn't you know, get completely out of hand and cause bigger problems. Dr. Stevens, then how much more important is it that people do safeguards? Uh, I made the comment about being on that Southwest flight and there were five of us that wore masks and I had the guy who was coughing his head off um, and not wearing a mask and, you know, holding his hand up to his face. I'm like, this isn't really working. Mm -hmm. um, how much more vigilant do people need to be when they're in public spaces now, especially given what Dr. Boyd just said, that, you know, we don't have the tools we had before. It's very much common sense. And so if you're in that environment, it's so important to put a mask on. You know, when I'm on hospital service, which I round a lot, very commonly I'm consulted to see people with influenza and, and now COVID. During that, it was interesting, during COVID, the, the big thrust of it, in the hospital I didn't get consulted on a single patient with influenza. And why is that? It's not, it's because of wearing masks. And I respect people's feelings about masks, and, but they work. And I think you don't want to get sick. You don't want to get others sick. And so we encourage, still in our clinics, we require the mask and for patient care in the hospital. And Dr. Boyd is leading our way at St. Luke's on what we do, what kind of PPE. Fortunately, we've had plenty of that uh, for our, our staff. And so I think the basics, don't forget the basics, wash hands, use common sense and wear your mask. Yeah. And I don't wear a mask anymore in public places. I mean, just, I, I, I use a product called Triology, which is a natural kills um, COVID 99.9% .9 of the time you can spray it in your mouth, on your face, whatever the case may be. I've done multiple broadcasts on this thing, but I use that stuff religiously. And I also make sure I hand sanitize. If I'm in the grocery store, I'm at a restaurant. Those are, aren't those, these are basics, like Dr. Stephen just said, yes. Yes, and certainly those that are immunocompromised are much higher risk. They may need to take extra layers of precaution. Um, and using kind of what's going on in the community with case levels and how many cases there are to help guide some of those adjustments that you might make if there's a lot of COVID circulating and perhaps you're going to an indoor activity. Does the same thing apply to the SVR flu that we see out there that is raging, that is raging. Uh, I've got six grandchildren, they've all had it. Their parents have had it. They gave it to me uh, when I was up in Pasco, Washington with, with my daughter who has four children. Um, when I left, I was sick. That's the second time that's happened. 
She's like, Dad, Mom's not going to let you come up here anymore if you keep doing this. So, so how how significant is that right now? So influenza certainly this year has been much more active than we had earlier the last couple pandemic years. And I think some of that is the masking and the social distancing and lower, um, you know, people were not having as many people in a small space. All of those mitigations help us for all of those other respiratory illnesses like RSV and influenza as well. So as some of those peeled back, we certainly saw more cases. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it doesn't sound like that. this isn't going to be over anytime soon. When we come back to the break, we'll talk about, you know, how this is, you know, what, what happens now. We'll talk about what's going on now, uh, and we'll talk about what people can expect for the rest of the year. Uh, and what can we expect, at, at, you know, at, as, as we march forward in, in, through 2023. So we'll be back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. If you want more information on this or anything else that we do on the broadcast, the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, all 12 podcast platforms, and YouTube. They're all up there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. This show will be posted up there. It's on all the podcast platforms. If there's a podcast platform we're not on, somebody needs to tell me because I think we're on everyone that's out there. My producer, the always perfect Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall, in studio with me. We are very fortunate to have Dr. Tracy Stevens and Dr. Sarah Boyd. St. Luke's healthcare system. You know, <laughs> it never ceases to, we're talking about vaccines for a minute. It never ceases to amaze me, the conspiratorial theories that are out there. <laughs> and that was really good. During the break, um, I made the comment about, the, I read a story about the fact that uh, Microsoft was putting chips in the, in the vaccines. This is something that was actually out there. And then and Dr. Boyd said, and the Chinese balloon that just came over was checking all those chips to see who had gotten chipped with the vaccine. But I mean, it is remarkable to me, the nonsense. Um, you know, I saw a story the other day about babies are dying because they took the vaccine. I mean, where is this stuff coming from? Um, to, I mean, I, look, I get it. If you don't want to take a vaccine, yippee tayo taye. That's your choice, okay? Everybody gets to make a choice. But what drives me nuts is this constant badgering of, A, people that d- did take the vaccines, Okay, and B, this these these fantastical stories that have actually no medical history or 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 data behind them. Dr. Boyd. Well, certainly when the vaccines, the mRNA or messenger RNA vaccines um, debuted, you know, people had a lot of concerns and there were conspiracy theories and and all the things. Um, and certainly from a perspective of monitoring vaccine response, vaccine side effects, you know, this has been the, there have been billions of vaccines given with really close monitoring. You know, a lot of us that got vaccinated signed up for um, an automated system and you get a text message and every once in a while checks in, have you been sick? Have you gotten pregnant? Because they're tracking and monitoring you know, do we have any safety signals that seem out of the ordinary? And it's an extremely safe vaccine, and it's been very effective. Um, Hugely effective. 90, 97% effective in this country. I did a broadcast with these numbers a couple of weeks ago. Meanwhile, the, the Chinese vaccine is 63% effective. And the way they know that, not because the Chinese are telling us that, because Brazil used it, and they actually did a study on it, and it was a disaster. And they've stopped using it. Oh, well, by the way, now you can get 
you know, uh, our vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, the other vaccines, you can get them in Hong Kong. You can't get them in mainland China, but you can get them in Hong Kong if you want to pay for it. So, uh, you know, they were they are extremely effective, are they not? And I think one thing uh, when we kind of when the vaccine originated, people were thinking like some like smallpox, you know, you get vaccinated, measles, very people don't really get that usually after they've been vaccinated. But our respiratory illnesses, you may still get infected, but those vaccines were designed to keep people at high risk from dying or winding up in the hospital with COVID. And those have been very effective at that goal of of really protecting people from that severe illness or death from COVID. Yeah. And and as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've had four, four vaccines now, four times I've been vaccinated. Okay. And I'll be, like I said, I'll be the first guy in line for the fifth one, because I believe, especially when you're over 60, um, that it, the, these things are make a huge difference um, in protecting um, both Lori and I got it. Lori was a lot more affected by it than I was, but regardless of that, she had had the vaccines and she has a very serious heart condition. And I think things would have been a lot worse if she didn't have it. So, you know, I, again, everybody has a choice. You know, you, you're a non-vaxxer. God bless you. That's your choice. But what drives me nuts is when I see these pieces out there in the media and people make these fantastical claims that there is just no data to back this stuff up. Am I right or wrong about that? There's a lot of data um, that you can look at that really, you know, that they have tracked on the safety signals, and it's a very safe and effective vaccine. And, you know, some people get kind of the messenger RNA kind of took a lot of that conspiracy theory market early. Um, But we do have Novavax, which is a protein subunit made a vaccine made with a, a different method that we've used for other vaccines. Um, that's available as well. And so I do think as we, you know, as people sort of look at vaccines and what their vaccine options are, I would encourage people to still be vaccinated. Yeah, and the the, the mRNA, which was Moderna's, Moderna's or the folks that actually pioneered that and were working on it well before the COVID came along. And, and I remember I, I bought the stock the minute I read the story about that they were going to go forward and do this because I really believed it was either going to work or it was going to fail fantastically. And I remember the CEO saying, we're burning the boats. If this doesn't work, we're out of business. And I thought, boy, if he's willing to take that risk, I'm willing to risk to buy the stuff. And it turned out to be a great stock. But the point of the story is they're coming out with a brand new vaccine, an RSV vaccine, that's going to be available in early 2024. And it's mRNA again. And it looks like this mRNA technology that, that they have developed and now other 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 pharmaceutical companies have it is going to make a big difference going down the road. Am I right or wrong? I do think it's going to it it's it's been a revolution from a what can we do um, for other other disease illnesses. You know, our typical flu vaccine um, is still made in eggs. <laughs> it's incubated and and it takes a while. I didn't know that. That's yeah. right. It's made in eggs. It, and we, um, you know, you have to kind of predict what what strains are going to be circulating and they make the vaccine well ahead of time, six months or more ahead of time to be ready for us to have when you show up in the fall and it's time for your flu vaccine. Um, with messenger RNA, that that manufacturing process is different. We don't rely on that culture and growing and the, the slowness of that. And so I do think we'll see different vaccine technologies and different vaccine approaches moving forward as as they were able to scale this at a much larger and faster production rate because of the technology 
and the method of, of vaccine development. I, I think it's remarkable. It's remarkable how it got done. I think it was remarkable how quickly it got done and more remarkable uh, the effectiveness of it, especially in, people, in preventing people from getting dying as a result of this and making their symptoms the rest of it, uh, you know, a lot less than what it would have been. I'm going to switch gears a minute, Dr. Stephen. So there's an issue now where, you know, people have had COVID they've got, or they've had RSV uh, and um, let's get right back in the gym or let's get our kids right back out on the soccer field or back to basketball practice. So talk a little bit about that and why that may not be such a good idea. I mean, you think, yeah, I need this so I can get myself back to where I was. Maybe that's not the smartest thing to do. You're absolutely right. And thank you for bringing this up because this is a big conversation we have in our clinic. You know, w- with being ill and with what we're talking about, viral infections, COVID, people are down and they're resting, they're recovering. And then it's that human nature. They want to go zero to 60 in two seconds to get back to their fitness program. And that needs to be approached with caution. And so just from the the general public wanting to get back into an exercise program, get back into it gradually. If you're still having symptoms, and there's uh, some great guidelines on this now, if you're still having symptoms, really wait till resolution a, a, a population that we're concerned about are the athletes. So whether they're really? high school, that, okay. little league athletes, and certainly the athlete himself or herself is wanting to get back into their sport because they want to not miss tryouts. They want to make the team. Uh, one of our biggest frustrations are parents who want their kid to surprise. get back or their coaches to get that athlete back because they are the next you know elite athlete, uh-huh. and it's a risk. So. I really encourage our community to look at the American College of Cardiology guidelines for return to sport. And it's based on, you know, how sick was that person? What was were their symptoms? What's the time frame for? And it's really nice for us because it's not an emotional part anymore. We have a document we can show parents about when that athlete can return to their sport. And it's great for coaches of, of schools, high schools, little league schools to utilize that as a guideline. Are schools utilizing it as a guideline, doctor? I mean, are they even aware of it? Is it something they're paying attention to? Uh, you know, some are. Others are just not aware of this yet. All right. And where do where can people get this, see this guideline and get this document? It's a very credible resource. The American College of Cardiology Guidelines for Return to Spo- Sport uh, Following COVID. So if they go up on the American College of Cardiology and, and look for that piece, they'll be able to find it and then do it. One quick follow-up to that. What about just asking your doctor? Doctor, is it good for Johnny to go back out and be on the basketball team and practicing two, three days a week and then playing? And, you know, a lot of these kids are in these leagues now that are not even in the schools, especially if they're trying to be, like you mentioned, the elite athlete and they're traveling all around. Parents are spending a lot of money. Um, What about going to your doctor and asking that question out of the gate? We certainly welcome that because as physicians, most of us are aware of these guidelines and we will be happy to review them with them. They are, it's very important because it can be dangerous from a heart standpoint, returning to the sport too quickly. Yeah. And we, we see athletes that have these, you know, pro athletes that have these situations that occur and you wonder sometimes, you know, how much of that could have been prevented by this, that, or something else. So these are definitely issues you want to take to heart. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about oral antivirals, and Dr. Boy is going to talk about that and what's available out there that can help you. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA radio network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. Doctors are still in the house. 
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruit of the Plain here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. All the podcast platforms and YouTube shows posted up there. This one is videoed, so you can see the show as well as listen to it. My producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall, in studio with me, Dr. Tracy Stevens and Dr. Sarah Boyd from St. Luke's Healthcare System. We are very privileged to have their time and their expertise in this studio today. So, question. Um, we were off air a minute ago, Dr. Stevens, and you, we were talking about people taking vitamins and doing things. There's a big deal out there on taking vitamin D, and somebody somewhere, there was a piece you saw, said you should be getting over 100 milligrams of vitamin D a day. Talk about how dangerous it is for people to start doing some of this stuff you know, at the extreme levels, doctor. It's so important to be educated about your health and have a credible source to read and to educate yourself about what you can do to make your healthy, your impact your health, especially after viral illnesses. We can't emphasize enough the importance of sleep and nutrition. And But as we know, there's a lot out there on the media. And a common thing I see in the clinic is a myth that while we respect and we're learning a lot about vitamin D, the importance of it, and, and the vitamin D level, we know what a normal vitamin D level is. But somewhere out there in the media, there's promotion that if your vitamin D level is over 100, then you won't get COVID. We know in the medical field, if you have a vitamin D level over 100, that is very dangerous and that is extremely toxic. So more is not better. Be very cautious of your resource for education and be very cautious of all the supplements that they're trying to promote is going to prevent you from dying from COVID, from even getting COVID. Yeah, it, again, we're going back to you know some of these myths that are out there, You know, whether it's the Chinese balloon tracking your, your chips that were given to you in the vaccine, thank you, or... Or, or it's this kind of stuff where you're, if you get your vitamin D over 100, uh, you're not going to get COVID. First of all, that's not true. Right. Right, right out of the gate. Vitamin D is not going to keep you from getting COVID, is it, Dr. Boyd? No. I mean, I think, like we talked, sleep and good nutrition and all of those things are important to keep yourself healthy. Um, but if you get a direct exposure, we know in studies looking at households that 40% of household contacts will contract COVID. So there's still that risk. And so you have to kind of layer everything together for a protection strategy. Yeah. And and uh, again, like you said, ask them. So here's one. You could ask your doctor. You could call your doctor. You could go, you could do your telehealth or whatever. And you could say, hey, I'm doing this or I want to do this. Is it safe to do this? Is this something I should do? Or do I need to take a look at this and, and, and see if it makes sense to me. Cause there's a lot of this stuff out there mm-hmm. and, and, and it's not regulated, um, you know, by the government, this, they, they make these claims and they're able to make them because they're not pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're nutraceuticals and they're able to say things like this that oftentimes are just not correct. That's so right. it's an issue. Let's talk about oral antivirals. Cause you did mention this on in the last segment as something that people can do that can help Dr. Boyd. Yeah. So if someone does, contract COVID, I think it's still important if you get those symptoms to get tested. I think people, you know, sometimes now are like, it's just allergies, it's just a cold. Um, And certainly if you have those symptoms, the only way to know is to get tested. And then people who are high risk, so they have heart disease, they have um, other immunocompromised conditions, they're overweight, um, they're 
they're older, those are all risk factors for severe disease or death from COVID. And we do have oral antiviral treatments that may be an option for those at high risk. And we still have one IV antiviral um, that we utilize for treatment and you can use for those at high risk. And so I encourage people to get tested and then the sooner you get tested to reach out to your healthcare provider to determine if these um, options would be good for you and your situation. So are those prescription oral antivirals, doctor, that you have to get a prescription for these? Um, they're prescription and there are some uh, tests to treat options currently that are um, kind of government sponsored where you can go on a website and basically look for where can you get tested and if you have a positive test to get have a pharmacy or healthcare provider prescribe. Is that, is this, I asked it for a reason, is that, is that vitamin B that is a prescription vitamin B, is that one of those things that are used in this kind of a situation? So I, these, I'm particularly talking about um, the two antiviral medications, and then there is an IV antiviral. Um, some of the other more preventive supplement type things, those may or may not require prescription depending upon what the actual formulation is. But for treatment of COVID, it would be those antivirals. That and, and those are available through your physician and through, through so if you go, yes. if you, if you go, <laughs> so when I got COVID after coming up from Pasco on a Saturday, I didn't get tested until Monday. Oh, I think I've just got, I was the guy. I, I don't, I, I just got the flu. Uh, so I stopped at a, at a, clinic and i did it was a drop they, uh, they drove up took the test she called me 15 minutes late she said you've got covid I'm like, Great. she said yeah. but you've had it since thursday so you know here, here here's what you need to do etc cetera, etc cetera. so but and and the other thing is when i got the flu i was like oh here i go again and i went in and got tested um at a minute clinic type thing at a high v or something and it turned out to be the flu it turned out not to be covid so you're not going to know back to what to what to, she gave me, she gave me a prescription for it. I can't remember what it was, but she gave me a prescription to take. She said, you've got this specific one and this is what you need to do. And it infected my eyes. It was really nasty. Um, but, but it knocked it out and I was fine. But um, so the testing thing is really important, isn't it? Yes. Cause you need to know that test will help you determine exactly what it is. And then if you're a need for treatment, that will help, help guide your healthcare uh, provider. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys coming in here today. It was really wonderful to have both of you in here. I mean, the, the, the amount of knowledge that you shared with this audience today and the number of people that are going to listen to this and be affected by this, I think, uh, I, I think it's going to be pretty impactful. And again, I really do appreciate you taking the time because I know you guys are extremely busy. But uh, it was great. It took a while to get this on, didn't it, Dr.? How many times did we have to reschedule this? About four or five times? Right. And we finally got it. So it was great that we did it. Again, thank you very much. Dr. Sarah Boyd and Dr. Tracy Stevens from St. Luke's Medical System uh, here in Kansas City. Again, as I said, we do these shows to inform you uh, and educate you about what fact and fiction is. What you heard today is fact. Not a lot of this nonsense you out here out here that's myth and fiction. And now I leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish together as fools. Truer words are never spoken. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Remember, these shows are posted up on the podcast platforms and on YouTube if you want to go up, watch it, and or listen to it. Goodbye, America.